The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. This is something new that we're trying here within Healthy Immigration Law. We have uh, a bunch of guests joining us today. And I'm going to have to actually change the intro, I think, because it's no longer me talking. It's, it's all of the members of the Healthy Immigration Law team. And we thought we would uh, we'd do something just a little bit different. So we're going to have some discussions about a variety of different topics, timely stuff. Thing that's, you know, things that the government is changing and we'll have no shortage of, of content, that's for sure. So recent changes, policy updates, uh, new laws, new programs, and also some overall experiences, things that are really awesome that we're seeing happening within our, our firm and within uh, immigration generally. We'll talk about the crappy stuff, the poor decisions, the, the goofiness that sometimes we see happening within the decision-making of, of, uh, of officers and applications. And um, yeah, and then at the end, we're going to finish with something that's going to become the world-renowned Canadian trivia competition. And uh, we'll get to that at the end. And the trivia will uh, is basically going to be based on four pillars, which are Canadian history, geography, uh, culture, which would include pop culture, and of course, Canadian immigration. And uh, as I was thinking about all the questions, and Igor is going to be our, um, he's going to be the, the host for the trivia component. And I was thinking about all the different questions that he could ask and how far it's been since I've been, you know, in, in high school or middle school, um, learning about Canadian geography and so much has changed. Heck, Nineveh didn't even exist when I was in school. So we had just, it was pretty easy. It was, it was Northwest Territories or Yukon. That was it. So it'll be interesting to see where he pulls the questions from and who the ultimate winner is. But uh, welcome everybody to the podcast. How's everybody doing? Hello, everyone. All right. So we've got, uh, I'll just go around and, and just kind of briefly uh, uh, call you out and you can tell a little bit about yourself. Um, so let's start. I see Igor here. So Igor Kriliak. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for the listeners? Hello, everyone. Um, I'm the youngest member of the team. It's actually been three years since I've joined the firm. Uh, three years and eight days. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to host the trivia for the first time in my life. So I'm, I'm still learning what trivia is. It's not a thing <laughs> in Ukraine. Yeah, but... Awesome. Um, Overall, yes, I'm, I'm working um, through my NCAs right now and hoping to complete the process and join the team as a lawyer coming next year. Very cool. All right, Alicia, you're up next. All right. Well, I, Igor, we missed your third anniversary. I'm feeling bad about that, mm -hmm. but happy, happy third anniversary with Healthy Immigration Laws. So congratulations on that milestone. And I've been, I've been with Healthy Immigration Law for, 
I don't have it down to the exact day, but I believe it's somewhere around two years or so. So happy to be here. I've been an immigration lawyer for a long time. I think it's been 19 or so years now that I've been practicing immigration law and I really do love it. And it is, I really feel an opportunity to be able to assist people through this administrative machine, right? Immigration is, it's kind of like a, a faceless black box right now and i think the intro to the podcast is true it's impossible to talk with humans and so it's absolutely essential to be able to throw people lifelines by giving them timely information and trusted trusted information so that's why i'm super excited about being part of the healthy immigration law team and what else do i do i am a yoga teacher so i'm a lawyer but i also enjoy teaching yoga and i've got uh, a wonderful husband and two kids and two dogs and love being outside in the mountains so that's a bit about me cool all right prem you are up we'll just get prem uh, looks like his mic is maybe turned off so we'll let prem work on that one a little bit we'll shift to chanel and then we'll come back to you prem Hi, everyone. I have been with the firm for just over a year. So we seem to be working from a longer standing employee to the newest. Um, I joined Holsey Immigration Law after doing my requalification as a lawyer in Ontario. So similar to what Process Igor is going through at the moment in Alberta. Um, and prior to that, I had a career in human resources and recruitment. Um, and I actually am from Australia originally. So I went through the immigration process myself of moving to Canada and going through express entry. Uh, so I've got some firsthand experience with that. And I understand the frustrations of dealing with IRCC, the stresses of being an applicant yourself. So I feel very fortunate that I can really empathize with the clients and understand truly what they're going through. Awesome. All right, let's move to Cedric. So Cedric, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi everyone. Yeah, my name my name is Cedric Barron. I an immigration lawyer joined a little bit under a year now. And um I love it. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> I love being an immigration lawyer. It feels very uh, like you're able to make a difference. Started my career at the federal court as a law clerk and uh, decided uh, refugee cases for the Immigration Refugee Board, the IRBs, the Refugee Protection Division, later at the RAD, the Appeal Division, and uh, worked for the UNHCR in uh, in Tunisia and, uh, and Lebanon. So come more from a refugee background, five-year call. And uh, and now I focus a lot on, on litigation, a lot of refused applications from IRCC from needing LMIA for a visitor visa to uh, more serious cases involving procedural fairness and, and federal court work. So that's a little bit about me. Excellent. And uh, let's see, Prem, any, any luck now, my friend? You can't have an inaugural episode without a little bit of uh, technical difficulties. All right, Prem, you're up. Okay, so I'm uh, actually from India. My wife is a student at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, we moved uh, to Lethbridge uh, in September of 2021. I've been working for Holt Immigration Law uh, for over a year now. And it's fun to help the clients with the intake process and uh, and help through the entire process sometimes. Yeah, it's, yeah, I enjoy this work. Awesome. So Prem is your interface with the firm. So if you call or you send an email to info, Prem's the one that you're going to deal with, and he's been an invaluable piece to the puzzle. 
and uh, and Igor's the one that's uh, working in the background on the websites and social media and all those kinds of things. And we'll be missing him as he transitions into the role of an immigration lawyer and starts his articles with the firm. We're excited about that. And and everybody else, Alicia and Cedric and and uh, and Chanel are all here to to help you guys in your journey. But myself, I think I talk enough about myself, but um, I've, uh, Alicia's got, I think, two years on me in terms of practice, so I don't know where that sits. I, I, I worked on the border in 2002 when the legislation switched over and and uh, have not really looked back since that time. So we're really, yeah, this has pretty much been my life and I love doing this and I, I'm really grateful for all the team members who are sacrificing a lot of time, work time to do this. And uh, we hope that it's going to be informative. It's going to be a little bit different than your traditional podcast episodes with just kind of interview formats. And the trivia will be an opportunity for you guys to join in and uh, play along and see if you're smarter at Canadian trivia than than the people here in the firm. And um, we welcome your feedback. Uh, We have an email address that will be trivia, excuse me, trivia at um, healthylaw.com. And uh, that's if you have a, a suggestion for a question or you question the legitimacy of the answers that we're giving and, and you're challenging on whether something's right or wrong, we welcome the experts to chime in too. So there we have it. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. So what I wanted to start off with is just a couple of things that we've seen in the news and otherwise. Um, I want, I can't help, but this is, this has been a little while now because this was, it, it happened in January, but IRCC, as they always freaking do, announced this consultative period very secretively on what the express entry targeted draw should look like. And I don't know who, if if it was uh, our good friend uh, Tamara Moshe Kusher or who it was that stumbled upon it on the very last day for responses to the consultation. It's hard for me not to believe that IRCC posted it, you know, and backdated it for one day. But anyways, it was a, a, a period of probably less than a week for consultative responses on what the new target draw should look like. And um, Alicia, you've been at this game for a while with me. Um, is that unusual for IRCC to, to do that? Well, here's the thing, Mark. So I think it was just immigration lawyers that were not apprised of this consultative process. I think immigration had sent out their consultative process to employers, to industry groups, to various provincial government departments, municipalities, and that sort of thing. And that's who they really wanted the feedback from. And so unfortunately, I think there was consultation, but it just was that they don't want to hear from lawyers, which is which is too bad because lawyers deal with clients every day. We see on the ground what's happening with people. We understand the trials and tribulations of trying to get an immigration application processed, especially when we're looking at the world of express entry. And this is fundamental. It's fundamental to who decides to come to Canada and why. So it is not unusual that immigration does a consultation and key stakeholders are left out, I think, um, which is too bad. And I really would hope that there would be a consultative process where there's a little bit more of a dialogue and actual ability to speak with somebody at immigration and to have communication back. Cedric, you worked in the department. Okay, like try to defend the department because I'm not going to say nice things right now. After spending years (laughs) within the Canadian Bar Association through the pandemic, hours and hours, hundreds of hours, you know, consulting with them when they were lost as to what, what, you know, what they should do during the pandemic. 
And I don't know, it's just really hard for me not to feel like this is kind of a slap in the face. And uh, you know, it really, really hampers the desire to, to try to, to continue to contribute and offer suggestions and things like that. And they've never really substantially considered us as stakeholders, maybe because we file leave applications and we challenge the officer decisions and hold them to account to what the law actually is versus policy, which we'll get to in a little bit. But what's your thoughts, Cedric, having, uh, having been on the dark side? And I was on the dark side myself, but anyways, although they'd call us the dark side. Yeah, so, you know, the federal court obviously is a little bit different, and the Immigration Refugee Board um, has what's called the National Documentation Package, called the NDP, and there was a consult, like, there was a process where they consult people about the changes to bring forward to the NDP, because they do update them with recent events and whatnot, so there's an email you can send suggestions to and whatnot, and obviously much a smaller team, but in terms of IRCC, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's only, the, the IRPA, I think, is due for a revamp. Every about 15 to 20 years, they redo the immigration laws. And when that opens, right, there will be public consultation, both in parliament, in the in the house. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see on what is going to change. And I think what we've seen is maybe about 50 or even 100 years ago, right, immigration officers had a tremendous amount of discretion, right? They could practically do anything in terms of letting in or, or excluding people from Canada. And then the, the IRPA came in and it really, or even before that in 1971, and placed powers and kind of constricted the, the power, right? And now we're seeing more, and we'll talk about it soon, about policy and decisions being made through policy. And when we do that, and maybe a segue for our next point in a few moments, but when you do that, right, we need to think about when you're doing stuff through policy, we're not having a public debate about the policies being put into place. There's obviously, uh, you know, people who are thinking about policy, there's obviously uh, articles and news and whatnot, but it's not a substitute for a, 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 you know, a Senate committee or parliamentary committee examining and hearing from experts on this issue. So, so it's super interesting to see that, um, IRCC, I think there's an article published by the Canadian Immigration Lawyer Association speaking exactly to uh, to this point, saying that lawyers, to some extent, uh, we're practitioners, we're law practitioners like immigration officers, and, and we have experience. In fact, we have kind of a different view on some of the issues that people are facing. We should maybe be consulted a little bit more about big changes. So, I mean, they're doing it. <laughs> are they doing it exactly as we want or in the pace that we want or what we want to see? No. Um, is it a substitute for, um, you know, a parliamentary debate for, for, for committees to setting this? No. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a step in the good direction after two, three years of, of COVID policies and temporary public policies. Excellent. All right. Um, there we go. There's, there's one side of the equation. It's important to try to be a bit balanced. <clears throat> you haven't swayed me over though, Cedric, but that was a nice, nice response. So if we look at this, um, yes, it's fine. Um, and yes, they're reaching out to stakeholders. That's, that's, that's good. And at least you're probably right. I, I guess you, you get kind of jaded over time. But when I look at the, uh, you know, this consultative period, it actually wasn't all for a loss because embedded within there, and this is what I found over and over again, when they do consultations, they've already made up their mind pretty much the direction they're going to go. Very rarely do they get some feedback that says, ooh, we better make 
changes unless there's some CBC go public thing that gets a hold of it and it just becomes a, a, a political shaming exercise for the government. Usually they already know what they're going to do and they're just going through the motions. And the advantage to looking at that consultation um, and the instructions in the preamble and the way they queued up all the questions is that they really revealed for the most part exactly where they're going to go and what they're going to do. The industries that were important, the, um, you know, the types of occupations that they were already keying in on. And so um, I just address everybody to go check out the blog post that I wrote um, just this past week entitled The Future of Express Entry, New Changes and Program Updates Coming in 2023. And this is really kind of an overview, my top seven kind of list. And, and Igor helped me to put this together as well. And we'll have a corresponding video that we'll, we'll toss up on YouTube. But <clears throat> it's all about these new targeted draws and where I really think they're going to be focusing. So check that out. Okay, next item on our list to chat about is these biometrics. Oh my goodness. Once again, no notice, just blah. Here you go. In Canada, biometrics are now required. Alicia, you want to talk about that one? Yeah, so everybody probably knows that biometrics are required for most applications, almost all applications, unless you have valid biometrics on file that you have completed within the last 10 years. What happened, of course, during the pandemic was everything was closed. Nobody could get to any of the offices. And so as a temporary measure, immigration just said, okay, if you're stuck in Canada and you're submitting an application to extend or change your status, if you're a visitor or a student or a worker, then you know what? We'll just waive the biometrics requirement. We will say that for an unspecified amount of time, we won't require in-Canada applicants to go and complete their biometrics because there's no centers open. This just makes sense. Well, that was great. That was very helpful. It would have been really nice for immigration instead of just saying, ta-da, February 23rd, 2023, everybody now requires biometrics. It would have been nice for them to say, hey, biometrics are coming, you're going to need them again. Because you might be un in the unfortunate situation right now of trying to submit a work permit application or a study permit application extension or change of conditions, and you can't until you go and get those biometrics updated. So as of February 23rd, 2023, in-Canada applicants must go and do their biometrics again. And the other thing that I happen to know, because unfortunately I'm trying to extend my Canadian passport, is you have to book these appointments and if you go and try to book an appointment right now for passport canada or for a biometrics appointment you'll want to do that pretty soon because it's looking like those appointments are booking months in advance so make sure that you get those appointments booked as soon as you need to and add that time in for your application yeah that's good insight <clears throat> and we see a lot of this right when there's announcements made and they don't always think about the logistical ramifications and the uh, the resources that are available to actually carry it out. So yes, good good point. Absolutely, Alicia. I've been going to assist my family members with getting their SIN numbers. Uh, we went to Service Canada and it was a stampede. Like tons of people waiting in line. Minus twenty degrees outside. You know they try to accommodate people <clears throat> through different rooms and if you know so that people don't stay outside. But it's crazy. Um, like so many people decided to rush and get their passports done, you know, all at once because now they feel like COVID is over, you know. So people who didn't even have passports for three or five years, now they think like, oh, it's been a while since I traveled, you know, so I better get my passport done. 
Oh, that's a good point. That's actually reminds me of a, a story. So personal experience, <clears throat> Jessica, my oldest daughter, she had planned a trip to Europe last summer with her friends. And somewhere, I don't know how she manages to do this. She lost her passport. And this was less than a week out from her trip to Europe. And they had multiple flights. You know, they were all traveling together. And this was in the world of massive, you know, delays for passports. And so the only options that we had uh, were to go up in person to Calgary and do it. And, uh, but the problem was there were so many people. And all of these people are all queued up and uh, trying to get passports. And um, you could go up there, stand in line and be turned away. And this is a two, two hour drive, two and a half hour drive, realistically for us. Well, that was fine. But they started when you got in line, they started to say, unless you're traveling within two days or three days, we're not going to take your passport for emergency processing. So you had to provide proof that you had a flight and that you were traveling in two to three days. Well, who in their right mind is going to be waiting until the last minute, you know, wondering if your whole trip's going to be canceled. And so we actually bought a flight to the U S that she never took just in order to get through the queue so that she could get her passport. And yes, she paid, uh, in many ways, her dad back, um, for that, uh, that little investment but this is the world that we're dealing with, right? And so, yeah, she's, she's now learned. And of course, you know, I, even though I said, talk to your friends, were you traveling with anyone? Yes, it was between the seat and, and you know, in one of the vehicles of her friends and we did get the passport back. So anyways, yeah, that was a crazy, crazy world that we're in. Okay, a couple other things. Um, visitors can continue to apply for work permits inside Canada with the temporary public policy extending. So we just got notification today, February the 28th, that uh, that they are going to extend it for another two years, which I think makes sense. It's uh, it's a policy that, you know, obviously there are, there, uh, there are factors and reasons why they don't want people to just come to Canada on, on tourist visas and then, you know, clog up the system with applications and get them rejected. And then what do they do? But, uh, but this, temporary public policy, I think it makes sense um, to, to extend it for two years. What do you guys think? It's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible? It Cedric, you think it's horrible? It's horrible. It takes, it takes 182 days to change the visitor record, right? So put yourself in a scenario where we're outside of the 90-day the restoration. Waiting 182 days to change the visitor record. You're waiting five or six months to then apply to a public policy. Applying to a work permit takes less time. I've had this scenario with a few clients. We're going through the options. Okay, let's get another, let's try to see if your employer can renew the LMIA. Let's see if we can get another employer specific work permit, FACOFIMOPT. It's like, great, oh, by the way, your visitor visa is gonna take 182 days. Let's, let's book an appointment in September and uh, we'll try to get you this interim work authorization, right? Because you can't, you can't apply, you, can't, you don't benefit from this policy unless you have valid visitor status on the day that they apply. Right, so I think I think this policy, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alicia, and I think, but I think this policy, the idea is that okay, you're inside Canada, you know, you were here during COVID, you know, there's long delays with getting work permits, 160 days, it's unheard of, and we're going to create this policy where you can get an interim work authorization. It sounds fantastic on paper until you realize that to get a visitor record, it takes 182 days. What do you All think, right, Alicia? So, so, so clarify, uh, Cedric, here a little bit. Alicia. 
So, okay. In general, <laughs> the normal rule under the Immigration Refugee Protection Regulations and, and Act is that you cannot apply for a work permit from inside Canada if you are only on visitor status. So, what they did during COVID, and I believe, and, and you can disagree with me if you're wrong, if, if I'm wrong, Cedric. And we but welcome disagreement, you guys. This is the purpose absolutely. of this. But I think the reason that they created this public policy was correct, because all of a sudden you had a situation where a whole bunch of visitors were in Canada, and now the game has changed, right? You're stuck Trapped. in Canada for, yeah. yeah, you can't travel, there's travel restrictions, you can't actually leave, but they are somehow able to find an employer under either a labor market impact assessment or an employer-specific work permit under the International Mobility Program, where an employer says, hey, I'm willing to hire you and I will go through the LMIA process, had that LMIA approved by Service Canada, or they have logged on, they've done their employer portal application and have done an actual job offer. That is great because then, because of this temporary interim authorization to work, as long as the employee has properly submitted their work permit application, it's employer specific. This does not apply to everybody. It's only those particular workers who have an employer either under an LMIA or employer specific program under the IMP that have applied for a work permit. If they're in that situation, then they can say, hey, I want interim authorization to work. But you're right, Cedric, where this all falls down is if that person doesn't have status on the day that they put that application in. Um, and that's one of the eligibility criteria. So I agree with you partially that there are holes in this in this process. I think the intent was right, but the fact that you can't get a visitor record extended because of processing delays, I agree with you, Cedric, really throws a wrench in the whole process. So you have to look at the fine print of this policy to see what the eligibility criteria are, and that's where it breaks down. Yeah, and I and I agree as well with Cedric, like the logistics of it, and and they're they're. Like the problems are, are magnified because of the horrible processing times for temporary extension applications from within Canada. But what's really driving this is labor shortages. And the whole pillar behind this, why they're even doing it, <clears throat> is because they're trying to figure out ways to get as many workers available for our, you know, sputtering economy as possible because of the massive, um, the critical labor shortages all across, you know, uh, all across Canada. And it's only going to get worse. And so by allowing someone who's here on a visitor visa or whatever it might be, a visitor record, who has a job offer from a company, they can actually get them on the ground working sooner um, as long as they meet the requirements. And that's really what it was initiated for. And like Alicia said, during the pandemic, people couldn't leave. They were here. They couldn't work. So they wanted to do whatever they could to give them the ability to do so so that the country could keep moving forward. And there's so many of those essential workers that's why they created the whole TR2PR policy. Uh, that that program, that TR2PR program, that permanent resident program, was to, in a way, say thank you for putting your life on the line during the pandemic on the front lines when all of us Canadians were cowering in our homes, not leaving, you know, not leaving uh, outside our homes. And uh, so, you know, there's labor shortages that are driving this, and uh, you know, and because it's not, it's an employer specific. You've got an employer who's actually supporting you. That's I think the the thing that makes this valuable and worth the, the two-year extension, at least in my opinion. So, but uh, every policy has got its winners and losers. And Cedric, you've, you've had a few clients that were on the losing end for sure. Yeah. And, All right. And, and yeah. 
And just to add just briefly, right, I think a lot of clients, a lot of people inside Canada, especially international students who pay, paid a lot of money, um, feel like leaving Canada is the worst case scenario. It's the worst thing they could do right now to leave Canada and it comes up all the time in consults, right? Can I apply to a temporary resident permit? Can I marry my neighbor? Can I see my roommate and I are in a relationship and do the spousal? Like I'll, I'll get a work permit. I'll start working next month. I want to buy an LMIA, right? This is what people do when it becomes hard, right? When you're dealing with 180 day processing time or there's policies that yeah, they benefit a lot of people, but also right in terms of the implementation is could, could be improved, right? So I think my point here is that people want to stay in Canada. They want to comply. They want to do their best to get permanent residency, become citizens. But at a certain point, like it's, it's hard, it's super tough, right? To, to, to meet some of these policies and, and just go back to a point about the first point we had about more dialogue, right? Like this is something that is preventable. Policies are made by IRCC. They can be changed by IRCC. Processing times, maybe not, but let's factor that in, right? Let's not just ignore that to get a visitor record. It's going to take 182 days. Um, and, you know, it's maybe, it's not a popular opinion, but, you know, sometimes you go through the, you go through the various options and the best option is tell the client, hey, go back, <laughs> go back home, get an extra four months of foreign work experience. You can have two years of foreign work experience. It's going to bring up your CRS score. Apply to Express Entry, come to Canada, probably have permanent residence by the end of the year, but nope, they have to stay into Canada and they're willing to wait and pay rent for six or seven months as they wait for visitor records. But so in any event, I just spent two cents. No, no. And I think I think to a large extent we're we're all on the same page here for sure. Okay, let's hit on one last little piece and then it's trivia time. <clears throat> so policy are not laws. So Cedric, dive into this one for us. This is a this is an issue we're seeing with IRCC, you know, increasingly making decisions based on their own policy, their own interpretation of the act and the regs. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's coming fast and furiously. Yeah, and, and and I think this should be really the topic of a, of a next podcast. I think there's at least more than an hour to talk about this, right? Um, but you know, we're seeing officers in, in remarks on work permits saying stuff that contradicts the IRPA, right? Like work permit only valid if the spouse work permits valid. Well, that's not how it works under regulation 209. We're seeing right language, right? Must, may, and should. These have specific meanings in law. And I think to some certain extent are being overlooked by all the public facing stuff that IRCC has. By public facing, I mean the instructions, the uh, operational uh, manuals, the uh, the checklists. It's super important, right? When you say someone must versus someone may or someone should, right? These all have different meanings. And when you're sitting down and trying to go through these interim work authorizations, these public policies and say, okay, like how does this actually apply? And, and this is something that the CBA and CLA has talked about as well. Like you sit down and you try to go through and like, have you considered this word and that word and it worked for me, it didn't work for you. And it's really, really hard when policy is to interpret policy when we don't have the proper vocabulary or when the policy itself between various policies don't really make sense. But listen, I think it's a whole different topic <laughs> um, to talk about how instructions don't override the law. The language is super important and immigration officers get a lot of the pressure at IRCC, but let's not forget that there's that there's policymakers at IRCC who, who are doing really good stuff, right? A lot of great public policies 
post graduate work permit extensions, a lot of great plug policies, TRPR that benefited a lot, a lot of people, right? So uh, with that caveat in mind, how can we can make it better, right? How can we make it even easier for applicants to understand the law, the rule, and what they should and should not do? But I think this is going to be the topic of maybe a future podcast, because there's a lot to be said uh, for, for this. Yeah, there's a ton to unpack. And we've dealt with this for years and years. Uh, you know, in the context, uh, you know, the start of my practice, I did almost exclusively business immigration. And the, the most difficult aspect with business immigration is that when IRCC established policies, um, whether it was their foreign worker manual that they had years ago or the program delivery instructions they have on the website now, they take applications like significant benefit work permits or intercompany transfer work permits, and they infuse into those their own policy interpretations as to what the requirements are to get the work permits. And often, if you disagreed and, and uh, felt, no, that was going too far or that's too narrowly interpreting what the actual legislative provision intended, um, most companies don't have any desire to sit for a year and, you know, and challenge this and file a leave application. Um, you know, often will fix, correct whatever they want and, and then resubmit a new application. So the laws were never challenged. But now with express entry, with a lot of the study permits getting refused, we're seeing far more willingness from candidates because it may be their only shot of coming to Canada to challenge these through through leave applications. And so we're seeing a ton. And, I, you know, we'll talk about in the future statistics on how many more, you know, leave applications are being filed compared to even three years ago. And it's it's the number is astronomically rising. So that's the world we're in, you guys. <clears throat> that's the world we're in. All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, for chiming in and, and offering thoughts on a bunch of different ideas and, and things that we're seeing happening. There's others that we have on our list that we didn't get to, but it's time now to move into our trivia. But first, before we do that, a little break from our sponsor. This episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast is sponsored by the Canadian Immigration Institute one of the best sources of video content on Canadian immigration to help you navigate your way through the Canadian immigration process. Head on over to the YouTube channel where there's tons of video content and you can join Mark, yes, myself, in a number of live video streams, Q&As, all designed to help you navigate your way through this crazy Canadian immigration process. When you're done there, like and subscribe and then head on over to the Canadian Immigration Institute.com where you can find all those awesome DIY courses that I've been talking about. Thank you, Canadian Immigration Institute. You are the sponsor of this amazing little podcast. All right, it is trivia time. The very, very first Canada Immigration Trivia right here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast. And I, Mark Holthy, am not the host. I'm not. It is Igor, who is the host of the podcast and, well, the host of the trivia competition. And uh, this is a trivia that is based on the four pillars of Canadian geography, history, pop culture, culture generally, and of course, Canadian immigration. And so Igor is going to be firing off questions. We've got 10 questions that are going to be asked. And we will see at the end who the victor may be. 
All right, Igor, take it away. So we'll start with very fun question first. Listen carefully. Here's the story. The northernmost settlement in Canada is located approximately 3,900 kilometers north of Calgary in Nunavut. It is located in the Arctic Circle, and other than polar bears and Canadian forces station, there is really not much going on. However, when you Google this location in Google Maps, don't Google it, you guys. There's no Googling allowed while he's doing this lengthy preamble. No Googling. I see you, Cedric. I can see you Googling. Hands off the keyboard. So when you Google this location on Google Maps and zoom in, you will find something weird. There are two institutions that you would never expect to see in such a remote area. Name at least one of them. I don't want Cedric looking at my answer and then writing it down, changing his answer last minute. I saw you peeking over here, Mark. I did. <laughs> I bet Cedric has artificial intelligence turned on somewhere in the background. He does. Oh, yeah. yeah hands off the keyboards. No chat.ai or whatever. Chat GPT. I have big GPT. <laughs> there we go. See, I don't even know it. So, are you ready? More time? Okay. Has everybody got an answer? Yeah. So, Igor? On three, two, one, reveal. All right. So, Cedric is the closest. So, it is the city, uh, the settlement of Alert, but nobody got the right answer. And the right answer is Tim Hortons or Angolese Embassy. Oh, Angolese Embassy? Tim Hortons? Why is there not Canada Post? Like, surely there should be Canada Post. Isn't there a Canada Post everywhere? Well, there has to be for the North Pole. That's clearly got to be where Canada Post is located. Got to be an, a Canada Post office. I'm going to check into that, Igor. I'm going to I'm gonna fight for that question. Okay, so nobody got it. Okay, well, that's fine. Wow, that was a brutal one. Come on, you're supposed to throw us a few bones. Yep. Since nobody got answered to this question right, here's a good chance that you will answer this one correctly. In what year did First Nations people win the right to vote in federal elections without losing their statutes or treaty rights? Oh my goodness, Igor. Like you are... Okay, I gotta, we gotta assess this here. Okay, this is not easy. Not easy. Did you learn this in the NCA? <laughs> Just in the NCA. Seriously. There's another so what chapter year? on on this. So we've got to get the actual year? Yes, yes, yes. Man. Is there is there points for someone who is close to it? You gotta make these actually. Uh, you know, in the range of possibility, my friend. Let's see who skipped their syllabus, you know. And... <laughs> <laughs> I think Mark's guilty. They didn't cover it in Manitoba at the U of M. They didn't cover that. Actually, it probably happened after I graduated from law school. So. And actually, considering that lawyers have to go through the path course right now, that may be a question that it was not on. trust me i went through it alicia and i both went through it and i can guarantee that question wasn't on there okay everybody got an answer okay yeah. Ooh, we have two winners 
Mark and Alicia. You're the yeah. lucky one. 1960, yeah. Woohoo. All right. So, Alicia, Alicia, did you did you know that? Know? What was that, Chanel? Were, were they guesses or did you both know the answer? Yeah, I was going to, mine was a complete guess. Alicia, did you know the answer? No, I, I had to guess. Yeah. <sighs> All Sweet. right. So, yes, in early 1958, Diffenbaker's government began drafting Canadian Bill of Rights. And with the Bill of Rights emphasis on equal rights for all Canadians, Indians could hardly be denied the right to vote. So on 31st March 1960, portions of Section 14.2 of the Canadian Elections Act were repealed. First Nation people could now vote without losing their Indian status. Here's a little piece of history for you. Awesome. All right. So the next question comes from the category culture. And it's not really a pop culture, but it's something that we as Canadians should know about, definitely. So, we have a loon featured on a $1 coin, a polar bear featured on a $2 coin. What is featured on a Canadian dime? Oh, I know this. It's easy peasy. I think we all know this. Hey, you're setting some of us up for failure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to guess. <laughs> I don't usually carry cash. So. Wait. I know this one. I know this one. <laughs> the Queen. Oh, Which would be probably correct. It's always correct, Mark. That's cheating. <laughs> but it's true. You actually, oh, That's you could. Actually, I shouldn't have said that. You could have gotten away with putting that on there. Would have been true, but I don't think that's the question you're looking for, was it, Igor? That's such a lawyer's answer, Mark. Okay, everybody got an answer? Prem? Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right, so we have three winners. But Cedric, you did not specify the name of the boat, and Mark and Alicia did. So they get a point, you don't. I'm sorry. I still remember elementary. How did it go? Blue knows the ocean knows your name. Sailors know how proud a ship was she. Yeah, see, that's what it takes to, you just have to be in elementary school in the 1980s, and you'll remember that song. So, But do you guys know what Blue Nose is famous for? Yeah, that's one of the fastest ships. Yeah, yeah. The Blue Nose won the International Fisherman's Race Trophy, competing with the fishing fleets from the Northwest Atlantic. And Blue Nose won this trophy in 1921, 22, and 23. Unfortunately, in 1946, while hauling freight near Haiti, the Blue Nose hit a reef and sank. And the Blue Nose 2 was then built and launched again in 1963. Awesome. Yeah, it was actually, it was really fun. I went to visit my friend in Halifax years and years ago and they had um, the Blue Nose 2 and it would travel between the different ports. And so that was, that was really exciting to see the, the Blue Nose 2. All right. Okay. The next question comes also from a category, culture, history, it's a mix, but are you ready? So a breed of which animal was recognized as an official symbol of Canada in 2002. And here's a little hint for you. It's not a beaver. 
Okay, just to clarify, can you restate the question again? So this was a so this is a type of animal. So a breed of which animal was recognized as an official symbol of Canada in two thousand two? Do we need the breed or the animal? The like the, the kind. You, you can you can you can name the animal, but the closer you get to the actual breed, the better. So if you get the animal, you get it right. Yes. I think Not so. if I get the breed. But let's see, let's see what <laughs> everyone else answers. Maybe we have a 100% match. Say the question one more time. <laughs> a breed of which animal was recognized as an official symbol of Canada in 2002? got to draw way back into my humunculus my inner brain that i don't think about come on buddy help me out here i bet everyone is thinking about the beaver but it's not beaver is the national animal of canada i know this one this is a hard one and i actually was really surprised when i was is this domesticated no, don't answer that. Okay, no tip. Man, that's brutal. Like, I read. Okay, I might have to challenge this question, Igor. I don't know if I like how it's worded. Okay, is everybody ready? Send you a legal serious agreement for a judicial review, Mark. <laughs> okay, so we have a dog, a polar bear, Canada goose, and then Alicia, the whiskey jack. Okay, so unfortunately, guys, nobody of you got this answer right. So the answer is the national horse. The Canadian horse was declared by Parliament to be Canada's national breed in 1909. But it was not until May 2002 that it was recognized as a national horse of Canada by the Act of Parliament. And the origins of the Canadian horse date back to 1665. At that time, the King of France sent horses from the royal stables to New France. The Norman and Breton horses were of mixed origin and included Arabian, Barb, and Andalusian horses. Over the next century, the horses' population of New France developed in isolation from other breeds, gradually becoming a breed of its own, the Canadian horse. The Canadian horse is known for its great strength and endurance, resilience, intelligence, and good temper. Threatened with extinction in the late 19th century, Efforts were made to preserve the distinctive Canadian horse. That's an awesome question, Igor. I knew it had to be some kind of a domestic animal or, you know, to have breeds. But uh, so I just took a shot at dog. But that's, you know that's great. I, Igor, that's really interesting because I was recently reading a National Geographic article about the spirit horse. And I had never heard of this, but apparently there was a breed of horse that was indigenous to Canada and actually was it was a helper to the indigenous people that were here and they were they tried to exterminate them but there was a few that were left and they sent them down to the US and um, some of the indigenous groups found them and brought them back to Canada and now are breeding them and they're called spirit horses so I thought maybe that's where you were going but Canadian horse that's that's its own breed too I guess very cool great question yeah. Igor yeah even though we all got shot out I wonder when they're going to add this question to the citizenship test. 
hey, maybe that's where they're going to start. Yeah. Just send me the trivia answers for when I eventually take the citizenship test test to practice. Yeah, citizenship. So who's first, Igor or Chanel? Who's first lined up for the citizenship test? I have not. I've been eligible to apply for like a year now, but um, Ah. I haven't. I've got a German passport. And Germany ah. don't yet allow dual citizenship, so I can't uh, I can't do my Canadian citizenship just yet. But they're changing the laws. I'm just waiting. This year they're meant to be changing it. They've I think got the draft act and everything. So I just every month or two I check. I'm just keeping an eye out. As soon as they change it, I'll be submitting my application. So wait, do you retain your Australian citizenship or? Yeah, because my because I'm Australian and German by birth. So as long as you were born into both citizenships, that's fine. Um, but Germany doesn't allow you to take dual citizenship by choice. So as soon as I took Canadian citizenship, I would lose my German citizenship. Wow, which I, I like having a ticket to Europe. It's it's convenient to have that flexibility with Europe. But uh, I would love to become a Canadian citizen eventually. So I'm looking forward to the day. Got plenty of time to practice for the test and do better than the trivia today. <laughs> Yeah, I'll share the experience of applying for a Canadian citizenship with you soon. Yeah. Cool. All right, Igor, let's have a scoreboard update. All right. So we have three people who didn't get a single answer right yet. And we have two people who got two correct answers. So Mark and Alicia have two points each. Cedric, Chanel, and Pram have zero points at this moment, but nothing is lost. You guys still can win this game. More interesting questions are coming. So the next one deals with geography. So how many national parks and national park reserves does Canada currently have? You're supposed to name like do name three parks instead of numbers. Save these for the tiebreaker. Okay, this is brutal. I'd like to make a vote to remove Igor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, I'd, I'd rather this than us being like, oh, like Lake Erie is near Lake Ontario. Hey, I might get that wrong. Dude, I actually don't know, I don't know if that's accurate. <laughs> All right, Mark, cue the music. Numbers. Oh, the number of national parks in Canada. Oh yeah. It's confusing because there's also so many provincial parks. So yeah, know. it is. I have we absolutely went, no um, idea, but also when you take those out, maybe it's not that many national parks. Well, you guys well, buy national park pass each year, and they give you a leaflet and a booklet where you can check on the map where you can go. So you have to know what you're paying for, right? I know. We Deanna and I went to PEI this past summer, and we we got our national pass there. And I, like, I think on PEI, there were multiple national parks on PEI. So, and of course, you know, my favorite one is Waterton down here south. And I think you guys like Banff up in Calgary. What's your favorite national park, uh, um, Chanel, in, in Canada? Mm, probably Banff. Mm. I, I, yeah, Banff or Jasper. Like, that area is so beautiful. And actually, um oh what's it called there's another one there's another one near there on the bc jasper side. no jasper's jasper's in alberta oh, on the bc side yoho 
Yoho National Park's amazing. Yeah, they're all, all the good ones are over in Alberta. We have, um, like in Ontario, we we have like provincial parks are the main ones that attract people. So we've got Algonquin, which was actually Canada's first national park, but was then renamed as a provincial park years later, if I'm not mistaken. So it doesn't quite fight anymore. All right. Well, we, we've got lots of time there. Everybody's got an answer, I think. Okay, are we ready? Three, two, one. Okay, so since nobody got the answer correct, it's not 23, not 21, not 150, Cedric, I wish. <laughs> We're going to award a point to Cedric Chanel. scratched it out, though. What, what did you oh. have before you put 150, Cedric? Like I had 50, like, uh, like Chanel. And Prem, yeah. what'd you have? Yeah, I, I had a couple of answers scratched off. I went with 18 first randomly, and then I thought that seems way too low. So I just rounded it up to 50. So because you rounded it up, we're going to still award you a point. And there are 48 national parks and national yeah. park reserves in Canada. So the oldest one, do you know what is the first national park that we have here? It was Algonquin. That's all I know, but it's not anymore. The first national park was Banff. And then the latest one, the newest one, uh, was, and maybe I'm I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's Theiden Nene. I don't know how they pronounce it. Nene, Nene, Nene. But um, this is the newest national park, and it's in the Northwest Territories. Yeah, that's not surprising. I did not know Banff was the first national park that is that's really cool so what's the scoop here so you so you're letting chanel close close like hand grenades and horseshoes you're gonna you're gonna let her uh get the get the score because she was close enough so so that means that cedric unfortunately because he changed his answer oh (laughs) maybe what we can do we can award cedric a point for um no 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 question. no no i'm fine i thought we were going yep. for lowest score here so i'm, I'm well ahead of you guys <laughs> <laughs> it's like golf cedric it's like golf don't worry exactly. all right how are the questions so far guys they're brutally hard igor brutally hard yeah. save the save the guess how many for like the tiebreaker question and then instead say how many national parks are there in Alberta or something like that or Ontario or whatever? Yeah. But the remaining questions will be easier, especially the last two. Um, guys, you will, you will have a lot of t- fun time answering those two questions. So <clears throat> we're coming to the sixth question. And this one is also related to culture. What popular Canadian snack food was invented in 1941 by a Quebec business named Archibald. Read it like three times for us so we can think as we're... What Canadian snack food was invented in 1949 by a Quebec businessman named Archibald? name actually is relevant here but just think about Canadian snacks yummy yummy in 1949 
Here's a little hint for you. This is uniquely Canadian. Is it sweet or savory? Can't answer this. Oh my god. All right, let's start the vote. Who votes to get Igor kicked out of here? Say <laughs> hey. I vote. Whoever <laughs> votes him replaces Igor. All right, Mark. There's a reason Igor was chosen to do this. It's time to give an answer, eh? Alright, you done? Cedric, you got an answer? I don't. Uh, let's just write something down here. <laughs> <laughs> Quebec stack. Although I doubt this is I'm pretty sure it comes from week four. Alright. Oh. oh. Team. Team Beaver Tail. Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Oh, Nobody got the right answer. What? Oh, That's, for goodness sake! Are you even Igor. Canadian? Come on, did you read Canadian. my? Did you read? Did you read my top answer? Yeah, it's not the right one, Mark. Sorry. Salmon sickles. Okay. Protein comes from Quebec, though, doesn't it? So. Yeah. That was... Let's discuss this and get to the right answer as a collective mind. When you go to the movie theater, what do you take with you? Popcorn. Popcorn. My wife. <laughs> and what else? Like you take Coca-Cola, you take popcorn. Some people take what? M&Ms. Uh, Candy. No. no <laughs> chips, right? Chips. Yeah, but there are some kind of chips that only we in Canada have. Nobody else. Ketchup has. chips. Ketchup chip. Ketchup, ketchup chips. chips. Oh man, seriously. And the answer is ketchup chips. Yes, Archibald <laughs> sold his invention under the brand named Chicklets until Lay's bought the rights to the recipe in 1987 and renamed them Lay's Ketchup Chips. Oh, man. You know, actually, that's not terrible, Igor. That's not a terrible question. I, my kids, good. every time they go away, serve missions for our church, we always send them a bag of ketchup chips because you can't get them. Like, I, I can't get them in the States. I don't think they sell them, well, at least not the ones that we have. So we always would pack a small bag of ketchup chips in whatever food package we sent down to them. Sometimes it didn't always make it there because not all mail outlets in other third world countries are entirely honest. So sometimes they will crack open the packages and eat the goodies and, you know, leave the wrappers for the kids. Yeah, it's interesting coming from Ukraine. We have so many different sorts of chips. We have fish chips, you know, um, different flavors with all sorts of cheese, um, all sorts of bacon, you know, chicken and crayfish anything but no ketchup chips so ketchup chips are uniquely canadian That's that sounds like harry good. potter's beans or whatever like the the different flavors of of beans you get on diagonally yeah yeah all right <laughs> okay give so, us a scoreboard um, update give us an update so chanel one point mark and alicia two points each wow this is Sorry, this is really how many points for Cedric again? Well, I, I can't again? wait. If, if here, I want to put something out to anyone who's watching or listening to this. If you have any hope of getting more than five on this, I want you to send an email to trivia at holthylaw.com because I want to hear about it. Because uh, clearly Igor needs to learn that um, his creative facts are, he needs to throw us some bones that are relatively easy here. Well, and then okay. maybe what we can do, maybe we can have a lifeline set up. So when we're, we're struggling here, we can like call, call somebody who knows more than us. And then we have a lifeline. <laughs> so that's awesome. And 
maybe the reason why is Mark gave me too much time to prepare it, you know, and <laughs> I was a little too creative. But I hope it's fun anyway. It is. Well, maybe we'll have a chat. More. Maybe we'll have a chat GPT one, right? Ooh. In honor of Cedric. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> guys, are are you ready for the seventh question? We have three more to go. Uh, actually, four more to go. So seven, eight, nine, and ten. Okay. So the seventh question is dealing with geography again. What is the name of Canada's longest river, which runs four thousand? 241 kilometers from the Rocky Mountains in British Columbia to the Arctic Ocean in Nunavut. I know the river you're talking about. I just can't think of the name. You all should know it. Can you repeat the question once more? Sorry. Yes, Cedric. So what is the name of Canada's longest river, which runs 4,241 kilometers from the Rocky Mountains in British Columbia to the Arctic Ocean in Nunavut. I don't know that, but what I do know is that the Rhino Party of Canada, and look this up, it's a true fact, wanted to pave, I think it was Manitoba or Saskatchewan, and make it the world's largest parking lot. That's, that, that I can tell you 100% for sure. The longest Ooh. river. Oof, that's a tough one. I'll save the question about the parking lot for the next episode of the <laughs> Okay, how are we doing? Has everybody got an answer? Okay, All right. Stick. Here we go. Oh, look at these. What? Oh. oh my god, guys, you have to fire your geography teacher. <laughs> this is a Mackenzie River. Oh, man. You'll see My when goodness. people start emailing in. I got one. I got two. Okay. I don't think we need to fire the geography teacher. I think there's someone else we need to fire here. Okay. We, we'll, get, we'll, we'll give you a chance to redeem yourself next time. All right. So okay, let next me try question. to redeem myself with the next question then. And Cedric, I think this question will be easier for you. What is your middle name? Which Canadian city was once known as Bytown? in honor of British explorer who founded it before being renamed. Another tough one. Jeez. So, yeah. Which Canadian city was once known as Bytown? This is like the Trivial Pursuit Genius Edition. <laughs> yeah, this, this question is pretty much impossible. What, why was it renamed? Yeah, so it was named Bytown, but then it was renamed. And it was named Bytown in honor of a British explorer who founded the city. Oh, guys, Did US Canadians Korea? must have it. I feel like I'm Ukrainian knowing more about Canada now. Probably. <laughs> At this rate. But I swear to God, like, I did not use ChatGPT. No, we know that. The questions would have been actually attainable if you used ChatGPT. It's more fun Thank this you. way. We're floundering around. All right. Okay, Mark went to search in Google on his other computer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, are you ready? I think so. We didn't even have music that time. I was so stressed. We have all our wrong answers prepared. Okay. 
Oh no, I didn't throw you guys oh, off enough! Yeah. <laughs> we have three winners! It's Ottawa! Dang. I changed it last minute. Dang it, I was trying to throw you guys in. off. Of Such course. a hard question. It's definitely not Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Yeah, the answer is Ottawa. The city was originally called Bytown after Lieutenant Colonel John By, who oversaw the construction of Rideau Canal. It was renamed Ottawa in 1855 after the Ottawa River that flows through the city. So here's a little fun fact about the capital of our beautiful country. Well, just to clarify, we didn't learn about anything in Ottawa in social studies class in Alberta. It wasn't on our curriculum. That's only because we're in Alberta, Mark. But you know what? <laughs> I'm you joking. What? That's, that's I was not actually the case. born in Ottawa. And the reason that I know that it was that it was Bytown was because we actually have our National Immigration CBA Conference this June in Ottawa, and it's right next, you know, the area is close to the Bywood Market. So that's why I of knew that Of course it one. is. <gasps> and interesting story about the canal in Bytown, the uh, general or someone in the military named the Breton purchased a huge amount of land near Parliament because the river was originally supposed to go from to go from Kingston, or the, the canal was go from Kingston all the way through, or not from Kingston, but somewhere within the Ottawa Valley, all the way through to the left side of the of the Parliament. And this this guy named the Breton actually purchased all the land, and his idea was to resell it to the government and make a quick buck. So uh, he bought it for a few pennies, trying to sell it for a thousand dollars more. And this is back in I think it's World War before World War One. Uh, I could be wrong though. Um, but there's a huge neighborhood now called the Breton Flats in Ottawa, and that's where the canal was supposed to be. And then since he bought all the land, they diverted the canal and they made it go through essentially through downtown core. Fun fact. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Awesome. Yeah. So okay. guys, little update about the score. So Alicia is leading the game. Alicia has three points. Mark has two points. Chanel has two points. And Chadrick has one point. Bram doesn't have a point yet, but everything can change. So, question number nine, and this one would be easy for you, especially for those expert century experts. The answer to this question can be found in one of our blog posts from June 23rd, 2022. With the rollout of the new tier system, how many new occupations became eligible for expert century? How many? Chanel, Seriously? Al and I, I think this means Chanel has worked there. No. I guess the author of the blog should know. Yeah, see, I won't feel bad about this. Okay. We need the music, Mark. We need the music. It'll okay, help us okay, here we go. I don't know what's more annoying, the music or my questions. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't ask that question, Igor. Don't ask that question. All right, are we ready? Okay, ready? Okay. All right, so yes, we do have a winner. Who do you think is the winner? Me. All right, no, it is Alicia. So oh. Alicia got it right, 16 new occupations. 
Oh, we're all so, so close. Oh, man. Payroll administrators, dental assistants and dental laboratory assistant, nurse aides, orderlies or patient service associates, pharmacy technical assistants, elementary and secondary school teacher assistants, sheriffs and bailiffs, correctional service officers, bylaw enforcement and other regulatory officers, estheticians, electrologists and related occupations, residential and commercial installers and services, pest controllers, fumigators, other repairers and services, transport truck drivers, bus drivers, subway operators, heavy equipment operators, and aircraft assemblers and aircraft assembly inspectors. And Canadian immigration trivia hosts. <laughs> yeah. So Alicia is getting ahead with four points compared to Mark and Chanel who share two points, Cedric one point, and then Prem has zero points at this moment. And we have the last question. Well, we already have our winner. We already have our winner. So we'll, we'll, we'll give her some applause because she's uncatchable at this stage. But let's see if she can hit the five mark. Yeah. Yeah. And this one also comes from our blog post on Holthy, law.com website. And to our listeners, just go to our blog, read through the blog articles that we have there. They're very informative and you may find lots of interesting and new information for yourself. So recently we've shared that the federal court decision came out where the court confirmed that IRCC must consider documents updated by web form or explain why not. What is the name of this case or the legal citation? Holy oh crap, my goodness. Are, seriously. <laughs> well, I know I didn't write it, so I have at least Again, a little bit of an excuse. Of this blog post may have a chance <laughs> get, getting this right. Okay, repeat this is your impossible. That, that impossible question again, Igor. Cedric, um, you, you talked so much about this case. So I, much. I did, I did, but there's there's so much case. <laughs> yeah, so get, get your what hands is the off name your keyboards. of the case where the federal court said that RCT must consider documents updated by web form or explain why not? I've, I've no idea. I can't tell you off the top of my head. I have a better chance to go with the neutral citation than with the actual name <laughs> at this point. So we know it's 2022. Yes. To 2023. I can hint the second part. It's Ant Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so if All we right. get that, we get part 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 marks for it, right? Half a point if we get V Canada. <laughs> All right, I, I think we're pretty much. I think we're pretty much done here. Oh, Alicia. Prem, can you can you move it to the right? All right, so yes, we have a winner. Oh, it's Prem. <laughs> and it's Prem. Nice. We have everyone who scored at least one I just point remember the last in the game. game. Yeah. So the name of the case is Core and Canada. The citation is 2022 FC 1690. Dang, I was going, I went with Singh. I was like trying to think of a, an Indian last name. Yeah. Well, so we have a victor, do we not, Igor? We have a victor. Yeah, yeah. Alicia scored four points. Mark got two points. 
Cedric got one point, Chanel got two points, and Prem got one point as well. Congratulations to everyone. That was fun. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Just a reminder, if you've got a better question, please, please send it in to trivia at healthylaw.com. We may just even have a little prize for the listener question of the, of the week. And so send it to trivia at healthylaw.com. And if your question is chosen, yes, you may just get uh, a signed autograph from, um, from Cedric Marin or something like that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Signing off. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration. This place I love